Lots to talk about on the show today, though, as are there always interesting things. Now, uh, most of us, I would suggest, have never actually been inside a real Canadian courtroom. We have seen all sorts of courtrooms on television and in media, often American courtrooms in our courtroom dramas that seem to be so popular. Many of us can imagine putting the hand on the Bible, taking that oath. How does that actually work? And there's a news story about a recent change in Alberta about how that works. Take us through it. Yeah, that's right. So what would happen if you show up in court is uh, ordinarily there would be a choice if you're testifying as a witness. Uh, as to whether you wish to swear an oath or to make a solemn affirmation. Uh, and if the lawyer who's calling the witness hasn't told the court clerk which of those choices the witness might prefer, the court clerk will ask you a confusing question. They will ask you, do you wish to swear an oath on the Bible or make a solemn affirmation? To which most people kind of cock their head and say, okay, but it's a choice. Now, there are a few interesting things bound up in that particular question. First of all, there's some reference to a Bible um, uh, or a, an oath. Now, what just occurred in Alberta last week um, is that in an effort to be uh, more inclusive, uh, they've decided to include another option there, which would be to swear an oath on an eagle feather. Um, and it would be for Aboriginal people that don't want to swear an oath in the Bible and don't want the affirmation option. Okay. Uh, and, and in order to facilitate that, they've supplied 122 eagle feathers to courts all over Alberta. Some will have more than one eagle feather in case there's a traffic jam of people wishing to swear on eagle feathers. Now, that particular change caused me to spend a little bit of time looking into the history of these things in British Columbia. What are your choices here? Well, indeed, you have many. Um, and British Columbia, in fact, has a uh, long history of permitting alternative oaths uh, for people who have different religious beliefs. Um, and that caused me to look into some of the history of why do we have oaths at all? What's the purpose of these things? Uh, and what's going on with, you know, for example, if you watch on... Um, the congressional hearings, impeachment hearings right now, you actually see these people standing up with their right hand held up. Yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. Because we're not doing that uh, in courtrooms in British Columbia. And in fact, in British Columbia, if you uh, don't specify otherwise and you choose the oath option, you're going to be read something like this. Take the Bible in your right hand. Do you swear the evidence you shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Now, that's not what's going on if you watch what's going on in Congress at the moment. You've got people holding up their right hand with yeah. their palm out. Yeah. Where did that come from and why aren't we doing that? Well, the history of that comes from Roman law. And depending on what version of uh, history you read, it, the penalty for perjury was either cutting off your right hand or branding your right hand as a perjurer. Uh, so when you're holding up your right hand... You're either A, showing I've still got it and I've got no brand on it, or you're giving yourself a good reminder of what you might lose should you not tell the truth here. That's where the right hand is coming from. Now, that's not quite what's going on in B.C. We've got the holding of the Bible in the right hand, but not necessarily so. You can choose alternative forms of oath in British Columbia. And in fact, we have the Evidence Act that specifies, for example, a person can choose to swear an oath in the Scottish style. Uh, and that is uh, also set out that would be this. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I swear by Almighty God 
as I shall answer to God at the great day of judgment, that I will speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Please state your full name, spell your last name for the record. So that's a little bit more like what's going on in Congress at the moment. Yes. Now, there are many other choices. Um, in British Columbia, for a very long time, uh, there have been a wide variety of oaths that people could uh, choose to take, the Scottish oath uh, being one of them. Uh, there's another one which I actually like the uh, sound of here. It was the Hindu oath. The Hindu oath. The Hindu oath. I thought this was a good one. It says, please repeat after me. I solemnly affirm the evidence which I shall give in this case shall be true. I will conceal nothing, and no part of my evidence shall be false. Please state your name, spell your last name for the record. Now, another interesting thing is that they don't tell you in court about your right to choose some different kind of oath um, or to, in fact, swear an oath on some book other than the Bible. And that's an interesting thing because there are actually policies in place from different levels of court about what's to be done if, for example, you wish to swear an oath on some other kind of book. In the provincial court, if you give the registry two weeks' notice, they're supposed to procure the requested religious text for you to swear on. In Supreme Court, there's actually a practice directive saying you've got to bring your own, which is an interesting thing. There are also some older, uh, now infrequently used oaths, but I recall in my practice, these used to be on the desk book in Supreme Court. And for example, one of them was the chicken oath the ch uh, sorry the chicken oath the chicken oath okay. which is an oath apparently uh, used by some people of chinese uh, background hmm. uh, and this is what that was uh, there's a whole process it is this the witness uh, is handed a piece of paper with the following writing oath made by witness signs his name being a true witness i shall enjoy happiness and my sons and grandsons will prosper forever if I give false evidence, I shall die on the street, earth will destroy me, and I shall forever suffer in adversity, and all of my offspring, offspring will be exterminated. In burning this oath, I humbly submit myself to the will of heaven, which has brilliant eyes to see. Then this, there is an instruction for what the court is then required to do. The witness, having signed his name twice, and a cock, male chicken, having been procured, the court and jury where applicable adjourns to a convenient place outside the building where the full ceremony of administering the oath is performed. A block of wood, an axe or a knife, not less than three punk sticks, a pair of candles and joss paper being obtained. Chinese candles are struck in the ground and lighted. The oath is then read out loud by the witness, after which he wraps it in joss paper as used in religious ceremonies, the witness then lays the cock on the block and chops its head off, then sets fire to the oath from the candles and holds it until it is consumed. And there's a, I thought, fascinating picture from, I think it's 1913. Oh, wow, look at that. At the Nanaimo Courthouse, and the heritage part of it is still there, so you can actually recognize where that picture is taken with the entire court adjourned outside, performing this ceremony of cutting off the head of a cock I was going to, say, to complete the ceremony. I was going to say, everybody's wearing their robes, and they've got the white tabs and everything yeah, outside. You'd, you'd bring the jury out. It was a, uh, I think, the Nanaimo mine riot case where witnesses wished to give that evidence. Wow. And there's a, I thought, really interesting early case from the late 1800s in B.C., where... Multiple witnesses decided they wished to take the chicken oath, so two cocks had to be obtained. 
and ultimately they were provided by a chain of early grocery stores based on Vancouver Island. Uh, and the province of British Columbia refused to pay for the two chickens <laughs> on the basis that it was a private prosecution and therefore not the province's responsibility to pay for the two chickens that were procured. So there's actually a little bit of litigation surrounding who's on the hook for paying for the chickens to administer the chicken oath. That's funny. So my take on all of this, and I should say this, there's also some sort of unhappy origin story to how it is we started using oaths involving the Bible. Uh, and some of that was referred to just a few years ago in 1993 by the Supreme Court of Canada. And some of the unhappy history here, and it, I think, explains why there was an effort to be accommodating for everything from eagle feathers to chickens, and uh, there's another saucer oath, various things, whatever somebody might prefer. Um, and it's uh, the Supreme Court of Canada references an early uh, English case from 1744, uh, and it speaks about the issue of uh, whether uh, an oath has to sort of get a grip on the sort of religious conscience of the witness. Huh. Uh, and the uh, English court said this, though I have shown the infidel in general cannot be excluded from giving a witness, and though I am of the opinion that infidels, infidels who believe in God and future reward and punishment in the other world may be witnesses, Yet I am as clearly of the opinion that if they do not believe in God or future reward and punishment, they ought not to be admitted as witnesses. So there is some early sort of English justification for requiring oaths on Bibles to prevent other groups from being able to give evidence in court. Obviously not satisfactory. It's now, interesting because you can see the reasoning. If one accepts that Almighty God can see everyone's thoughts, everyone's conduct, every instant of their lives, and they will pay for that conduct at Judgment Day, that is relied upon by the court as a deterrent from misleading the court. That's exactly the history of it. Now, huh. here's my view of it. My view of it is that we should not be requiring people to make declarations of their religion uh, as a precondition for giving evidence in court. Um, and I would view it as, I think, troubling if a jury, for example, was to be giving differential weight to different witnesses' evidence based on some assessment of, you know, what form of oath did that person take? I don't really like that Hindu oath. I really didn't think much for the eagle feather. That person didn't use a Bible. This person did. So to the extent uh, that any trier of fact, jury member, for example, was making some judgment about whether they should believe a witness based on what kind of a ceremony they performed or what kind of a book they held up before they gave their evidence, to my mind, is really not very satisfactory. And so one of the things you'll see if you watch those congressional hearings is that the question asked to them is not like the questions, the alternatives we have here, which is the either you can swear an oath on something, presumptively a Bible, interestingly, or you can choose to make a solemn affirmation or promise to tell the truth without using any religious book, symbol, feather, or bird. Uh, and to my, the question they ask their witnesses is to the effect of, do you swear or solemnly affirm that the evidence you shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And the person would hold up their hand and say, yes. Uh, and to my mind, the advantage of that approach uh, is that it doesn't require the person to make some particular declaration. They don't need to say, I'm choosing that Bible over there, or I'm preferring the this other religious book, or I prefer no religious book at all. It simply asks the question of, do you swear or affirm 
the person says yes, and off we go. Uh, and to my mind, that would be a, a better approach rather than the approach being taken in Alberta, which is to say extend the variety of things that somebody might do as a ceremony uh, in promising to tell the truth. I think we'd be better off either uh, having all witnesses simply affirm that they're going to tell the truth, and that's an available option here, and it says it sounds like this. Do you solemnly affirm the evidence you shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? State your name, (laughs) spell it for the record. To my mind, we would either be better off just having every witness affirm so we don't have this religious question prior to testimony, um, or... Uh, if there is some belief that uh, somebody would not, for some reason, want to affirm that they were telling the truth, ask a question, ask the, have the oath or the affirmation as, do you swear or solemnly affirm the evidence you shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Don't bring out any books, feathers, or other objects. Have the person say yes and get their evidence. And to my mind, that would eliminate both some of the risk posed of judgments based on the religious declaration that might be required uh, and wouldn't require people to make any particular declaration or um, have the unfortunate effect of, you know, somebody might say if they didn't know that they had to make some request in advance, if they showed up there and said, well, I don't want a Bible, I prefer a this and that. If we simply do away with it, I think that would be a, a better approach in the modern reality of the world not to bring in uh, more and further uh, religious objects for people to swear on and require people to tell us all what their religious belief or preference is before they give evidence in court. Let's take a break. Legally Speaking with Michael Mulligan continues right after this. From the CFAX 1070 Community Cruiser, here's what's happening. Don't miss the Artists with Disabilities Showcase December 3rd to 5th at the Flux Media Gallery. The showcase features works of art by multi-talented artists from across Greater Victoria. And join Santa Claus at the Fairmont Empress on November 28th as they light up the Empress Tree. There'll be Christmas cookies and hot chocolate and the Gingerbread Holiday Village display inside. Watch for the CFAX 1070 Community Cruiser from Canvas Acura. CFAX 1070. Carpe diem, Latin for seize the road, embodies what the Alfa Romeo Q4 all-wheel drive system stands for. When you get behind the wheel of the Stelvio SUV or Julia Sports sedan, every roadway from racetracks to snow tracks should be approached with an unwavering confidence that only a century of racing heritage provides. Visit alfaromeo.ca to book a test drive. Hi, it's Jeffrey here for Barclays Fine Jewelers. We know that everyone loves coloured gemstones, so we're hosting something special. Victoria's largest fine gems and gemstone jewellery trunk show. This means that you'll have a choice of rare gems and gemstone jewellery never before seen in Victoria. Two days only, Friday, November 21st and Saturday, November 22nd. Just in time for the gift-giving season. Visit Barclays Fine Jewellers in Oak Bay Village, Friday, November 22nd and Saturday, November 23rd for Victoria's finest gemstone trunk show. Going holiday shopping at Thrifty Foods, honey. Need anything? Everything on my list. Your list says everything. Yeah. Can you get it? Thrifty Foods has everything you need and wished for in store, like our British cheese advent calendars, 25 straight days of cheese, all butter shortbread fingers, great for dipping in hot cocoa, and delicious Italian meats to up your charcuterie board game. All ready to enjoy this holiday season. Thrifty Foods. Be merry, eat happy. 
Todd Talbot here for VGH Millionaire Lottery. Whether you choose amazing homes or take 2.7 million cash, your millionaire ticket can be life-changing. Plus, there's even more to win when you get your tickets early. Buy now for a Nissan Rogue, travel, or cash with our $35,000 fall bonus. Don't wait. Fall bonus deadline midnight tomorrow. Tickets at London Drugs or MillionaireLottery.com. Live like a millionaire. 19 plus to play. Know your limit. Play within it. Living with hearing loss is like only listening to half the orchestra. Whether you suffer from hearing loss or just notice a lack of clarity, Broadmead and Oak Bay Hearing Clinics will improve your hearing and your quality of life. So try a pair for three months. Use our trial period to see if the latest in hearing technology makes a difference for you. It's one of the qualities that makes Broadmead and Oak Bay Hearing Clinics unique. Call 250-479-2969 or visit broadmeadhearing.com to book an appointment. My name is Dr. Sean Murphy. This Monday, don't miss The Good Doctor. Fans across the country have made it CTV's number one show for good reason. He perseveres. He's annoyingly resilient. Star Freddie Highmore inspires as a surgeon with a unique perspective. I'm not neurotypical. And extraordinary abilities. I think you're seeing something. There are still a number of possibilities. Get into the feel-good series that everyone's talking about. CTV's The Good Doctor. Monday at 10, then stream anytime. Listen to CFAX 1070. Download iHeartRadio today and take us with you wherever you go. On iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio.ca. This is Adam Sterling on CFAX 1070. Legally speaking with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers continues on CFAX 1070. Michael, a couple of other interesting stories on the docket today, including owners of a foreclosed blueberry farm. What happened? Yeah, I thought this was a good story. This is out of uh, Langley, uh, and the history of it is that a couple of brothers uh, purchased a blueberry farm in Langley. The blueberry farm had mature bushes, and it was uh, really quite productive. It sounds like they got about $200,000 worth of blueberries out of the farm every year. Unfortunately for the brothers, uh, they had, it sounds like, a substantial mortgage uh, through farm uh, the farm credit corporation which they weren't able to pay uh and uh they fell behind on the mortgage in 2006 and finally by 2007 the farm credit corporation had, had just about enough of all this and they managed to go to court and get a an order that the farm be sold in order to pay off the uh mortgage so the blueberry farm gets listed for sale uh, an ad is run. The advertisement says this. Court-ordered sale. Over 60 acres of top-producing blueberries in Great Langley location. On and on it goes. Um, and it says, property is sold in an as-is, where-is basis. And so the prospective blueberry farmers make an offer uh, where there's a foreclosure. That's actually settled in court at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the prospective uh, owners go to uh, court on the foreclosure, and ultimately they agree to buy said blueberry farm for $5.531 million. Well, the original brothers, I don't think, are happy at losing their mature blueberry bushes. Uh, and uh, sure enough, it's uh, almost time for harvest back in July of 2017. So the court order, the court orders that the uh, sale proceed for that amount of money so that the mortgage can get paid off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then someone uh, decides to spray Roundup over the entire farm, killing all of the blueberry bushes, 
wow. right before the new owners take possession of the Materially farm. altering the value of the farm because that harvest is worth money, right? Yeah, not only is the harvest worth money, with blueberries, they grow in bushes, which take a number of years to mature. Oh, and if oh. you round up all of your blueberry bushes, not only have you lost all of the fruit, which is about to be harvested, it's going to take you probably a decade or so before you're back in business ready to uh, produce blueberries again. And in fact... The evidence in this case was that the damage caused by the Roundup was north of $2.7 million. Wow. Of uh, the five. So about half of yeah, the price. That's wow. right. So the new owners take the farm and then, of course, start litigation as soon as they get it. Unlike the week before when all the blueberries look great, juicy, and ready to harvest. <laughs> they're all dead. They're all dead. Oh, wow. And now what? So the brothers, the original owners of the farm, deny spraying Roundup on it. So it's a circumstantial case. They actually don't give evidence. They just denied it. Uh, but ultimately, the judge concluded, well, who else would have done this? It was some immense volume of uh, Roundup sprayed on these things. It would have required, you know, hundreds or thousands of gallons of water, tractor activity and all of this. You know, what other random person would have snuck onto the blueberry farm a week before the new owners would have got killing all the, the bushes. So the judge concluded, no, the brothers did it. Uh, the brothers' second defense was, well, look, uh, we are, uh, even if we did it, which we deny, um, it was still ours at the time. Can't we just do whatever <laughs> we want with our blueberry bushes? We've decided to, you know, even if we did, even if we did what we denied doing and rounded up all of our blueberry bushes, well, what's the problem? Why should these people get the benefit of that? Well, the judge didn't have much of that. Uh, but then there was an interesting little legal, a couple of little legal questions, which were things like, well, look, if you've got a contract to purchase some property and some harm befalls the property between the time that you agreed to buy it and the time that you're to take possession of it, well, what are we to do about that? Do you get out of buying the thing altogether? Do you get it? Do you get a price reduction? How are we supposed to handle that? Uh, and then this had the interesting wrinkle of, well, you agreed to buy it on an as-is, where-is basis. So, well... Was you, there I a guess, when is on that as I guess, well? I guess you've got yourself a bunch of dead <laughs> blueberry bushes uh, for five-point-something million dollars. So the judge had to work their way through the little legal quagmire created by that fact pattern. And the uh, judge found that in some circumstances, the as-is, where-is provision... Uh, might well have had purchase. I think, well, look, you know, you agreed to buy that house and as is, where is basis? And, you know, if just before you bought it, the foundation collapsed, you might, gee, well, you, you got what you got over there. Uh, but the judge found that here, because of the uh, conclusion that it was the brother owners uh, who did this, um, the conclusion the judge reached was that the price for the farm ought to be reduced by the amount of damage caused, that $2.796 million, plus another $150,000 in punitive damages on the basis that, look, you, you engaged in pretty egregious conduct there. Uh, doing this, the only rationale would be out of spite, I suppose, because really the courts ordered the thing be sold. Uh, there's no upside to you other than, I suppose, causing some harm to the people that were going to get it. So uh, the upside of all of this is that the farm purchasers uh, will wind up with a $2.7 million uh, discount. Uh, we'll, we'll all be a little shy of blueberries for the next decade while they get some new uh, bushes going over there. Uh, and the uh, takeaway is if you wind up in foreclosure, don't burn your house down or spray Roundup all over your fields. Uh, just take the money and move on.
One can see how the court would be very interested in there being a disincentive in people destroying property that was being foreclosed on and liquidated because yes. you, you can't have people just burning down houses when they get repossessed. There needs to be a strong deterrent established for that. Uh, we've got about three minutes left. Never-ending police budget issues again in the news. Your thoughts on this? Sure. Uh, there are a few things in what's going on. There's a proposal now by the uh, police board uh, that includes a number of things. One of the things which is in the proposal I think is a pretty positive one, and we've actually talked about it uh, here in the past. And one of the positive things that they've suggested is the idea of uh, having more uh, special constables to deal with uh, issues where you may not need a fully uh, trained and armed police officer. Things like helping with traffic control, serving subpoenas, uh, doing court liaison service, walk, working at the front desk, uh, uh, dealing with public complaints, data entry, these sort of things. Um, oh, another one here, which I think is a good one, the low-risk apprehensions at hospitals. That's where they need a police officer to sit there, sometimes oh, yes. for many hours waiting for intake at a hospital. Yeah, Mental Health Act provision, yeah. All of that, I think, is a really sensible idea, because if you're able to have somebody who doesn't have all of the full training and uh, so on, you might need to do all police functions. Uh, you could have a responsible person with training that could perform those functions. That's a great idea. I must say, it's very, however, disappointing that the matter is now being sent a second time to the province as a result of the uh, the municipal councils in Victoria and Esquimalt not agreeing to the uh, suggested budget. And that's going back to the province pursuant to the Police Act. And the Police Act has various provisions that provide that a municipality with a population of more than 5,000 people uh, has a responsibility uh, to provide adequate policing to yes. ensure safety and enforcement of the law and all of this. So the fact that now for a second time you've got a police board uh, making an application in the province saying, look, the municipality is failing to meet the bare, bare minimum of the yeah. statutory requirement to ensure that there's safety and law enforcement going on in the uh, municipalities of Victoria and Esquimalt is just a very disappointing uh, thing. And I, I must say, watching that as somebody who's sort of involved in the criminal justice yes. system, at the same time you've got all kinds of other things which might be fine things, but certainly aren't the sort of the core function of uh, municipal government. You know, if you've got sort of on one side of the street bus passes being handed out uh, to uh, kids, and on the other side of the street you've got a police department that's having to go to the province and say, look, uh, you're not meeting the basic requirements for law enforcement and safety. It strikes me that that's just a completely incongruent uh, state of affairs. And you, you need to meet your minimum safety requirements before you start engaging in other activities, which might be fine activities, uh, but uh, you, you've got to get the basic bases covered before you move on to them. And the fact that we are now in a second year of that sort of an application having to be made, to my mind, is just a very disappointing uh, failure of municipal government to perform its core functions. I find the logic in your arguments to be impeccable and indeed unassailable. So hopefully we find our way to a more reasonable outcome in a state of affairs in this city. Yeah, that would be a good place to be. All right. All right. Michael Mulligan, thank you as always. Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Quick break. The news is next.